Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 210. Nothing creates the well-rounded person better than a misspent youth. Nothing teaches a kid responsibility better than having their own throttle in their hand. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, John Light. John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Heck yeah, Mark. Sounds like we're going to have a good time here. I think so. John Light is the Power Sports Division Manager at Evans Cooling. Evans is a company his father started over 21 years ago. They develop, manufacture, and sell waterless coolants for all kinds of combustion engines. And they work with some of the biggest automotive companies and names in auto racing. Their products solve cooling problems, reduce maintenance costs, and can reduce fuel consumption and emissions and they eliminate the need for disposal of harmful contaminants. A really cool product. So, John, I've told the listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your history, your business, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles and motorcycles? Sure. Well, I like to consider myself a young fellow, but at uh, 44, I'll let you make your own mind up about that. <laughs> You're looking pretty young from this side of the side of the age chart. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up uh, in Connecticut next to uh, the Lime Rock Racetrack in the northwest corner. Very cool. My family is essentially a, a bunch of motorheads, so it probably couldn't be helped, but living next to a racetrack definitely got me started down what we'll call the right road. Yeah. And, you know, exposed me to a lot of what goes on in the, in the race industry outside of the actual cars or bikes on the track and more of the people involved. Growing up, although this is a family business, essentially, and, and I was surrounded by the technology as it was being developed, uh, you know, I, I never saw myself as, you know, stepping into shoes or there was no expectation that I'd be part of the company or anything. It just, you know, my, my parents let me uh, have, have free reign and see where I end up. Nice. Um, now, looking back at it, it's almost like, where else could I have ended up? <laughs> Sometimes it's nice having having fate make your choices somewhat for you, but at the same time, you, you do have to uh, take that choice also. Sure, absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit about Evans Cooling because the technology that you guys have created and developed is really interesting. Well, it, it started in car racing at, at Lime Rock being the home track. 
years and years ago. I'd have a hard time nailing down when exactly. I know certainly in the early to mid-1980s, we were messing with uh, waterless coolant. But I also remember back to the 70s, the same people and, and race cars, I don't know that they were working on coolant at that time, but there were other products being developed. Jack Evans, the partner going back, uh, he had oil pans and AccuSump turbo oilers and thin-on oil filters where you could remove the element and see what was coming out of the motor, a number of other products. So anyway, you know, moving forward, I just kind of uh, love the machines, but grew up riding motorcycles. Although Lime Rock doesn't do any motorcycle racing, it's only cars, I really gravitated more towards the motorcycle end just because I guess that was more uh, available to me. When I was uh, about 19, I started racing motorcycles. Did that for well, a pretty long time, up till 2006. Went to school and all that kind of thing and, and fit, fit my life in around racing because mm-hmm. that's, that's what I really wanted to do. Can you tell me a little bit about the product that you guys make? And Is it a chemical process? Is it a chemical product that replaces the water in the cooling system for a combustion engine? Yeah, um, you know, the, the current formula is a blend of glycols, same basic chemicals that are already in antifreeze. It started with propylene glycol. I don't think anybody had ever used propylene glycol as a coolant before we moved forward with that. I remember my father looking through my, my mother's uh, organic chemistry books, and one day he was pretty excited and would say the words propylene glycol, which <laughs> didn't mean much to me, but it sure sounded interesting. Yeah. As a fluid, it worked well, let's say, in a racing setting. It was pretty thick, high viscosity, not very good cold weather performance. Uh, the heat transfer quality isn't all that great, but it's waterless and has a high boiling point not corrosive so running in the in the race car it solved a lot of the issues that they found in racing which is a lot of the engine tuning limits are based around the parameters of water mm-hmm. uh, and when water begins to boil the vapor expands a lot it, it takes up a lot of space compared to other fluids uh, this is why a steam engine works gives you the power to push a piston right so what it's doing in the engine is once it starts to boil it's pushing liquid coolant essentially out of the cooling jacket. Uh Once you do that, you don't have the the coolant on the metal. The metal temperature goes up really high in that that one location, and you have a hot spot that creates detonation. With a waterless coolant, you always have liquid-to-metal contact, and so you can play with other parameters. You can lean out the fuel mixture. You can run a higher compression or more advanced spark. There's, There's a number of things you can do to make more power because the boundaries have been moved. Very cool. I love that the technology side is really, really interesting. And I would assume your your time spent racing motorcycles garnered a lot of information and uh, technology for you that you could carry forward into your job today. Absolutely. When I go and talk with a team, I, I already know essentially what their problems are. Not specifically, but in terms of budget, schedule, being able to, you know, trying to build more power reliably. You know, it seems obvious racing is expensive and and the schedule is heavy but when you can connect with them as a racer then they know that they can really confide in you in a, on a different level absolutely on the one side you've got what i call the pit road handshake somebody needs a tool you loan it to them guess what it comes back yeah you know you make a commitment to somebody we don't need a contract i'll just i'll do my part you put a check in the mail today i'll put the coolant in the mail today and guess what they both show up yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's really great. 
As we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So since you like motorcycles, I usually say take the wheel, but I'll say, John, take the handlebars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you gave me a heads up before this because thinking about a quote, but there's really one that comes to mind, and that is, nothing creates the well-rounded person better than a misspent youth. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I think there's a story behind this. Well, to my knowledge, that was coined by my mother. What she's referring to is, you know, my my father, he's the chief engineer in the company, but he's not what I call a a clean room engineer. He's not a lab coat type personality. He's the guy who's going to get an idea, go out in the garage and put something together Mm -hmm. and just make something work any way that you can first and then start working on the design and and polishing it up. And I think part of this comes from when he was growing up. uh, He's an electrical engineer, actually. Growing up, he would collect up old radios. You know, we're talking in the 50s that didn't work. He'd fix them. He'd he'd build things. He he probably almost set his his parents' house on fire a number of times. Uh Uh, (laughs) There's a few stories about about things that, you know, hey, kid's going to do what a kid's going to do, and he's not necessarily going to tell his parents about it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, close your your ears, all you mothers out there. <laughs> well, I like the fact that he's hands-on. I think that's really great, and it's uh, served the business well, obviously, because he puts his ideas to work uh, in vehicles and on the track, so that's great. How have you incorporated that success quote into your part of the business there? Well, I think you're going back to the you know my years racing motorcycles, where you talk about a misspent youth. You walk out of any form of racing, unless unless you somehow manage to become famous and champions and everything, you walk out with a lot less money than you walked in with. I've heard and, that over and, and over again. <laughs> yeah, and the, the time you spent means that you didn't spend your time doing other things. In a way that's good, it can keep you out of trouble. Certainly, it, it teaches you all sorts of things, you know, how to how to overcome things, how, how to keep working on something until you figure it out, because got a time deadline you know if that green flag drops and you're not there yep. well you made you travel down there for nothing yeah all that time spent racing and, and experience is invaluable to me in what i do today with evans because not just dealing with the race teams but just mechanically understanding things being able to speak to different levels of people whether someone's an engineer mm-hmm. or, or or whether they're a, a a backyard building mechanic who who goes racing on a, on dirt track and stuff, and they've all got something to offer. One thing I've learned is you don't line up on the start and look at the guy next to you and say, hey, he's wearing overalls and, and, and farmer's work boots. Guess what? That guy might be really fast. <laughs> I've had that experience, and, and you never you never judge somebody by by where you think they've been or they're coming from. Yeah, just uh, we can go back and look at Carroll Shelby as an example of that in the old school days of racing. He wore those uh, overalls when he raced, so uh, he uh, he did pretty well for himself, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Will you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment when you really knew you were a car guy? You know, growing up in a family of motorheads uh, obviously is a framework that is there, but growing up next to the Lime Rock racetrack, riding mini bikes. My, my parents got me a, a little Italjet 50 when I was eight. And, and I, had, I had some friends on the other side of the racetrack and they would come over to my house and we'd go back through the track again. We had a hole in the fence, go ride around on the, 
on the access roads and, and they had some sand pits and stuff and just the ability to step out of life and and be in the moment you know third grade oh i've got homework i've got this i've you know what when i'm riding my mini bike i'm not thinking of anything else i got my kids riding bikes and i believe firmly that nothing nothing teaches a kid responsibility better than having their own throttle in their hand because there's a cause and effect there yes absolutely (laughs) you do something dumb it's gonna hurt and then you you learn yeah i love that that's great I had a, a guest on last week, Bruce Canepa, who runs a really successful operation where they restore, build cars, vintage race cars. And he shared the same story, only his was with a go-kart, uh-huh. racing go-karts up and down alleys. John, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood here and ask you to share a huge challenge or a great failure that you faced in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how you overcame it and what you learned from it. Well, you know, of course, there's been a lot of challenges, and the, the the one that comes to my mind prominently here is probably because of where I'm, where I am right now, and, mm-hmm. and what I'm doing, and 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 really the challenge is that we're we're marketing a product that goes against the the common knowledge and and tradition of of cars that dates back over a hundred years. You talk about a waterless coolant. People don't know what you're talking about. They think, <laughs> is, it, is it a gel? Is it a powder? How can it be liquid and waterless? Well, right. you know, okay, there's, there's probably not much water in your gasoline. So we know that not all fluids are water, but it doesn't always leak to mind. And then when you start telling them how it works and what you can do, they're not really sure they, they believe you. You know, if you say you can open the radiator cap when it's hot and it doesn't spray out at you, you know, people need to see that. Right. To, to believe it. Or if you say... Hey, you know, if you're running at 220, 230 coolant temperature, you're on the edge of uh, of overheating right there. Stuff's starting to happen, but with our coolant, it's running just as well as it did at 190. Well, how's that possible? I know my engine doesn't run well when it gets when the coolant gets hot. Well, that's because of what's happening where the coolant's boiling in the engine. Sure. The temperature you see is the bulk coolant temperature. It's not in in the head around the exhaust valves. And there's always a lot of explanation and, and, and belief, really, that has to come with it. Sure. And basically, you just have to try it to find out. You just yeah. have to give it a chance. I think I've, I've, I've learned a fair amount about trusting the fellow man. You know, I give them the information, and they, uh, they need to do their own work, and they'll see that, it, that, that our product does what we say it does. I can see how that would be very challenging because you're, you said it well at the beginning. You're overcoming a thought process of 100-plus years old. The water goes in the radiator. It gets hot. If it gets too hot, it boils over, causes problems, and head gaskets blow up, and all sorts of bad things happen. So, yes, uh, this new technology, overcoming that with people's expectations and perspectives definitely be a challenge. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and talk about an aha moment, maybe one of those times when you realize an idea or a concept you had was a great one, and it was going to make it. Well, you know, I think that's sort of connected with the with the challenge of connecting with people and, and getting them to understand. When I was racing motorcycles, I would bring coolant to the track and, and sell it at the track. I sold it to the local dealerships in my area. I sold it online. You know, this is before I was working for the company. It was just something I, I saw I could do for essentially what's a sponsor. Mm-hmm. In that effort to, to sell... I would take so much time and, and write such long 
uh, emails to people about how the coolant works and how to put it in and what to expect and this and that and all a lot of technical stuff and good information. But but the thing is, is that really the audience that is ready for that level of information was probably about 10% of the people. Mm. And there wasn't an aha moment where I woke up one day and said, oh, now I know, but rather something I had to grow into, mm-hmm. which is you equip people with the ability to, to understand, and you don't have to get too deep into the technical stuff to do that. If you make it simple, you allow that person to, first off, absorb what you say, because, you know, who, who absorbs everything they hear all at once? They, you know, you have to kind of see things again and again, think about it, ask some questions. Mm-hmm. But if you can make it basic enough that they can, essentially you can make them the expert, that they can now tell their friends something that their friends didn't know, that's what's important. And when you can do that, now you're being effective, and now you can move beyond a lot of talking and get into actually helping people with, with their engine issues and, and even their trust level. Sure. Yeah. Education through clear communication. I love it. How about proudest moments? I assume you've had many, but is there one in particular you could share with us in your career? The, the moments that stand out in terms of accomplishment, for me, they don't, they don't really come back to me as in, I did that sort of a thing. If I've been talking to a race team for a while and, and you know, I give them coolant, I teach them about the, the coolant and what it does, but, you know, I, I'm not pushy and, and, you know, I give them the tools and then stand back and let time go. And, you know, I've had big name teams go for two years being educated, having the coolant to work with, and then I'll stop by them at the track and say hi and just chat. But not even about Evans because, they know about Evans. They know who I am. They know what I want. I don't have to keep telling them. Mm-hmm. Well, when that team, when they have the realization that water isn't working for them and that Evans does, it solves the problem, and then they start using the coolant, I mean, that's a great accomplishment. But right. is it mine? Can I be so proud of that? I don't think so because really it's the guy on the team who is able to learn something new, and do the opposite of what he thought for a long time. It takes a lot for people to change their mind. It says something about their level of ego when they can do that based on, based on facts. You know, you see, you see facts, and if the facts don't agree with what you thought, well, you either change what you think or you deny the facts. Well, okay, I think they can be proud of, of being able to change what they what they think and make an advancement. That's that's not my proud accomplishment, though. You know what? It's bringing up my kids right. That's I. You know, they're ten and twelve, and I hope in the future that that's my proudest moment. <laughs> of course, uh, every if, every parent's wish and dream. Yeah, you know, I bring them to the track times and put them to work. Not a major, you know. Go hand stickers out, and they'll go out and they'll talk to people. But they're part of it, and you know, I want them to. I want them to see me working. I want them to understand that work isn't just showing up. You you have to be creative. You have to get out there and make a real effort, not just a visible effort. Sure. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. You know, the, the guy who mowed our lawn at our house when I was when I was young, uh, he also worked on cars and stuff. And 
I'd ride a motorcycle over to his house and, and help him out some just, just for something to do. And, you know, it's like, Hey, well, I need a car. And he had a car we were working on. And, and so I helped him a lot with that. And that became my first car. It was a 1972 MGB, uh, the hard top, the GT model. Uh-huh. That was a lot of fun that, you know, you, you can almost, you almost can't help having a great experience with your first car. Uh, my sister's boyfriend gave me a, a black punk stereo to put in it. I taught my high school girlfriend how to drive a manual transmission. I blew the motor up driving up to New Hampshire to visit a friend. I mean, good or bad experiences, they're all good in the end because you remember it. You had yeah. fun. It's, yeah. it's challenges and, and it's just it's just great. Fun little cars. Is there a vehicle that you've let go? And I'll include bikes in this that you really wish you could have back. <laughs> Yeah, that would be my, I had a 1986 Suzuki GSX-R750. Oh, cool. And it was it was all stock, stock exhaust, which actually it's hard to find a sport bike with a stock exhaust on it. Yeah. Nowadays, it's a collector's item, but that's that's not why I wish I hadn't let it go. It was just so much fun. It had such a cutting-edge look. Uh, really, it still does. Really a blast to ride. Uncomfortable as heck. Uh, sport bike, you know, your wrists would hurt and your, your your legs would cramp up, but it would go zero to 60 in under three seconds. It, it, <laughs> yeah, GSs it would are go, fast. <laughs> yeah, it, it, let's see. If I remember, it was a 55 miles an hour first gear, 70 in second, Zindy in third, and had six gears. Fast That's bike. Wrong bike, wrong <laughs> bike for a 22-year-old. Yeah, but great bike. I, I wish I hadn't sold it. Yeah, sorry I brought up that, but uh, you got to spend some time on that bike, twisting twisting your wrist, so that's cool. How about current <laughs> projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? There's a couple. I'm going to hit the one that I'm sorry to say I'm a little bit more excited about. Uh, is a, a Honda Ascot. It's a, just a 500 four-stroke single Honda street bike. I bought it in 1989. I It was no miles, but it was a bunch of years old. And I rode it across the country. I've ridden it to Daytona and back. I've put so many miles on it. Couldn't tell you how many. I've burned through three speedometers. The, the vibration just tears them up. I've modified it over the years. You know, it's, a, it's always been a, a work in progress. <laughs> and, you know, I've got half the engine is out of a different bike. Front end, the forks and, and brakes and front wheel is off a sport bike. And the rear wheel is off a different sport bike. And... I cut the frame in the back and shortened up the seat. And it's a little bit of a cafe racer style. Cool. I've got more to do. There's cool. <laughs> a, a fiberglass solo race seat from the 70s I want to put on the back. I want to fix the gauges and the headlight, make them look more proper. Maybe throw some paint at it. Yeah. It's fun. You know, it's a, cool. it's a bike. You, you, you ride it around, and, and people don't say, nice bike. They say, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very cool. That other project, I still have my aunt's car that I bought from her in the 1990s. It's a 1976 Mercury Capri. Oh, wow. It's, it's a German Ford with a little 2.8-liter V6 rear-wheel drive, pretty sporty. Yeah. And uh, it was just really fun to drive. It got to the point where it needed a lot of mechanicals, and the body started rusting. And then I, I took it apart and had it dripped and primered. And the project, I've been carrying it around with me for a bunch of years now. And, and I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to put it back on the road because that thing has just a lot, of, a lot of good memories and a lot of fun left in it. There you go. Now, here's a l- rather introspective question for you, John. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? 
I think I'd have a hard time coming up with a, a specific on this. Uh, it's quite easy for me to say what I wouldn't be. And no, I won't say you go because you can have fun in almost anything. But <laughs> I wouldn't be a self-driving car because I couldn't have any respect for the person who'd be in the, quote, driver's seat. <laughs> there you go. That's a trend that's only going to – it's gonna, it's a recipe for disaster for those of us who, who love an engine. Yeah, uh, I agree. I'd have to be something sporty and, and fun uh, that gets driven. You know, I wouldn't want to be a, a collectible that just that just sits all the time. Yep. The museum nearby here in Philadelphia, the Simeon Museum. Yes. Incredible collection of cars, and they all run, and they run them all. They they, they pull them out of the museum. They've got a big parking lot out back, and they'll they'll rip them around and 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 keep them keep them alive by using them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I could I could live there. There you go. Well, and Fred is going to be a Fred Simeon is going to be a future guest here on Cars. Yeah, he's agreed to Good. be on the show, so it'd be be fantastic. We're about to enter the last lap, but before we do, here's a word from our sponsor and Cars Yeah guest Dwight Knowlton. Carpe Viem, seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find the little red racing car an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an inspirational award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's car book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Emilia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand where you can find his book, shirts, and more that embrace his seize the road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E gear.com. All right, John, we're back and we're entering the last lap and You've been on the track, you know what this means, the white flag is out, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and I'd like you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So, you ready? Yep. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Fix it yourself. (laughs) Very good. I like that. (laughs) Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I think that would have to be that I've, I've always done what I wanted when it was possible. Very nice. Great. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners? And I know there are a lot of them out there these days with the web and blogs and so forth. But is there just one you can think of that you really enjoy? Your best resource is going to be the one you develop yourself. Mm. You know, if you go to a shop, you know, don't just walk in, tell them what you want and give them the money. Be friendly. Strike up a conversation. Get to know them a little bit. Don't forget to tip your mechanic. I know that they, they get paid plenty of money. You know what? five bucks on the counter they'll remember you and you build something that they they'll they'll help you out when you're in a pinch how about a book i know there's a lot of great books out there but if there's one you could share with our listeners what would it be i read a book by matt oxley called stealing speed it's a story of how the modern two-stroke came about after world war ii an engineer in germany who's who was forced into uh hitler's jet propulsion uh department learned all about expansion chambers uh, through the Pulse Jet and a number of other things. He was super creative. He had nothing to work with after the war behind the Iron Curtain. He would cut metal up, make exhaust pipes, cut the pipes apart to reuse the metal because he couldn't get more. 
fantastic story. Oh, sounds awesome. That sounds like a great book. That's the first time that's been recommended here as well. Listeners, you can find links to these resources at carsyad.com slash John Light. All right, John, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy for some folks. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost because today I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like that exists on this planet. What would that one vehicle be and why? You had to save the hardest one for last, didn't you? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to say it's my mom's Austin Healey. No kidding. And, Your mom's yeah. Austin Healey. Why is that? It's not about the value or, or, or anything. I mean, it looks beautiful, but you know what? It's really, it's all about the sound. I saw a guy who had a, a Healey with a V8 in it once and you know, <sighs> You take the best part of the car out, he'd, he'd probably electrify a Stradivarius. Yeah. <laughs> well, what uh, what model Austin Healey does your mom have? It's the uh, uh, 3000 Mark III. Mark III, yeah. Okay, cool. Very cool. What are the colors of that vehicle? Well, it started out as the as sort of the, the steel blue, but she felt that there was no visibility on the road, that people had a hard time seeing it. So it's British racing green. Very nice. Cool. Great car. Great car. And you saved me some bucks because uh, since it's your mom's car, maybe I can convince her to give that to you someday. So I don't have to <laughs> I don't have to pay for it. So I appreciate mom, that. <laughs> mom, I wasn't putting in a request. I'm just having fun here. Come on, Mom. Come on, Mom. <laughs> Help us out a little bit. John, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yacht listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in Mom's Austin Healey? We all have responsibilities, but one of the big ones is to go through life as, as you choose it. If you can find passion in your work, then, then you're going to be happy. People say, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. That, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. I mean, you know, everybody's got to do stuff at work they don't like doing. But if you really love 40% of what you do, the other 60% doesn't matter. It's all worth it. There you go. Find your passion. It's what Garcia has all about. Great advice. Listeners, again, you can find links to everything on John's show notes page at carsyad.com slash John Light. John, thanks again for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks a lot, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.